big idea, but so young. It will never work. Zero experience. We'll see. Welcome to Dorm Room to Boardroom, the podcast that delves into the incredible journeys of entrepreneurs who kickstarted their companies while navigating college life. I'm your host, Maddie Rifkin, the brains behind Mount and your guide on this entrepreneurial expedition. Join me as we dive deep into the stories of our accomplished guests, discovering the pivotal moments, challenges overcome, and the strategies that propelled them to success or ultimately failure. This is Dorm Room to Boardroom, where the journey from campus to corporate isn't just a story, it's a roadmap for the next generation of game changers. Today, I'm thrilled to have an extraordinary guest, Chase Robbins, founder of Handle Delivery, snack delivery for students. Chase has raised $1.7 million to date for his company and is navigating the balance between founder and student. Chase, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Excited to dive in. So in this episode, we're going to unravel his incredible journey from ground zero to establishing a thriving business. We'll explore the pivotal moments that it propelled him from idea to execution, the challenges he faced, and the decision-making process behind starting a business while being a student. Chase, on dorm room to boardroom, we want you to do a 60-second intro. Uh, Share with our listeners why you founded the company, what age you were, um, and then a brief snapshot snapshot of just where you are now and how everything is going. Sure. Um, so I founded the company when I was a freshman at USC. I was 19 at the time. Uh, it was 2020, middle of COVID. I had just missed my graduation from high school because of COVID. Um, it's crazy to think that we've <laughs> that was that long ago. Now I'm about to graduate. Um, and really, it came out of me. I um, had been doing kind of software businesses in the past, but I really wanted to do something that was venture scale. And I really wanted to build something for my peers. And so looking at all the things that were happening at that time, obviously it felt like kind of a unique moment with COVID happening and delivery services were basically powering the entire economy at the time. And I was at USC and virtually everything was closed down around campus and everybody was just ordering, you know, DoorDash, Postmates, whatever that may be. And the experience was not that great, really. I mean, we have 30,000, 40,000 kids around, but we have no product that's really made for us. And so that was kind of what led to that aha moment and decided to take it on. Freshman year uh, was when I started working on it. We launched our first store when I was basically going into my sophomore year. Um, and since then, we've opened at University of Oregon, uh, University of Alabama, UC Davis. We have locations opening at Oregon State um, and a couple other places in the spring. So yeah, that's, uh, that's my brief intro. Wow, that's incredible. I mean, I know I was also recently a college student also during the pandemic, and this would have been absolutely phenomenal because for me, it was like GoPuff, DoorDash, you know, all the normal ones that just really don't give it back to the school. So that's pretty exactly. awesome here. Yeah. Um, so I guess like where we want to start on this podcast is just how have you been able to manage being a student, but also a founder? Yeah, I think you just manage it carefully. I mean, ultimately, you have to, in my opinion, it comes down to one being willing to sacrifice in other areas of your life, right? Because we all have 24 hours in a day. It's not like anyone can create more or less time. So if you're going to do both, you have to kind of pull time from other places. And so 
I think that's just something everyone should know going into it. And if you're not willing to do that, if you want to really have that traditional college experience, then I would say, you know, maybe don't found a company or maybe keep it at a smaller scale uh, because it's obviously a huge time commitment and, and life commitment, really lifestyle change. Yeah, absolutely. So do you plan on continuing running the business post-graduation? Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah. So I guess for me, and I don't know about you as well, but college was a really good testing ground to take a ton of risks because, you know, if you failed, you could go back to being a student essentially. And so you were able to take a ton of risks, test out what it was like being a founder, but also just the boss in general of this company running it essentially full time. Uh, and so I don't know if you felt that way as well. Like, have you been able to take more risks? Do you feel being a founder in school than being one in your 20s or 30s? Yeah, of course. That's that is the biggest benefit of founding a company while you're in college is that your risk tolerance is so high, right? For the exact reason you mentioned, I can start this company, do whatever, have it fail. And I'm still just a student, right? Because the expectation of me is, you know, from a cultural and societal perspective is that I'm just taking my classes and going to graduate and get a career. So any anything beyond that is a positive. And, and the second piece I'll add is that if you do found a company and it fails, you're still getting such a great experience from that. You're learning so much. You're adding that to your resume. So I think there's really very, very few reasons not to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing I always like to ask our student founders as well is like, how has specifically USC been helpful in your journey? Uh, and what was what has that been like? Yeah, USC overall is very helpful. I would say it depends on the individual organizations within USC. Obviously, USC is like, you know, it's it's almost like the federal government because you have so many people involved in so many, you know, schools and offices, etc. But overall, everyone is really eager to help. The USC entrepreneurial ecosystem is very mature, I would say. Um, if you look at the stats, I mean, we're top 10 when it comes to like producing IPOs and producing venture back startups. So, uh, you know, uh, I, I would say it, there's a good ecosystem around it and it's different from going to school. I don't know. I don't know where you went to school, but a lot of my peers went to school at Stanford, Berkeley, all of these schools in the Bay Area, which are you know traditionally known for their entrepreneurial output. But the nice thing about USC is that there's not so much competition in LA for venture. So if you go to Berkeley or Stanford and you're and you're bringing a startup out of that, obviously there are tons of benefits of founding at those schools. But one of the nice things is that at USC, you know, it's basically us in UCLA and then a couple of other schools in Southern California that are really outputting founders and, and venture backable companies. Yeah, absolutely. It's I mean, it's a really interesting point. So I went to Northeastern in Boston. I'd say arguably Boston has a great ecosystem for startups. You Definitely. also have MIT, Harvard, like there are just so many schools there. So I would say it is fairly competitive, um, but Northeastern in general, I would say they target the CEO, like that's who they want going to that school. And so when I was at Northeastern, I was a freshman. I got there in like 2016 and I was like, okay, I'm going to found a company. Not sure like even where to start. So I went over to, uh, they have a accelerator called the Idea Lab. And I was just like, who can help me figure out what it means to start a business? <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, uh, from there, basically Northeastern just kept put flooding resources my way. And it was, you know, a $10,000 grant here, $10,000 grant there, pitch competitions, mentors, like whatever you really needed, they were there for it. And then 
the hack I picked up while being a student is that pretty much every college and university has a uh, pitch competition, you know, and, and they don't really care if you go there or not, maybe just bring on an intern from the school. That's what I used to do. And I'd enter in these other pitch competitions. And so I think at the end of it, I won like $100,000 in free money that I never had to like give back. It wasn't worth equity. And that was just from being a scrap, scrappy college student. Yeah, 100%. I think with all of these programs, what you're going to get out of it is what you what you put into it. I know that's very cliche, but it's true. And even schools that don't have mature entrepreneurship ecosystems, I find that you know, in talking to peers that are making it work at those campuses, the schools want to build that infrastructure, even if they don't have it today. So if you can play a role in making that happen, I mean, I would even say at USC, I have a great friend who basically started this Trojan Founder Society. And it's like a social club with all the founders on campus, but he's a founder himself. And so he's able to go to all of these VCs in LA and be like, hey, I have USC's top 30 founders, like, will you sponsor a dinner for us? Yes, that's great because we get that interaction. But at the same time, now he, in being a part of building infrastructure, he is helping himself, right? Because now he has all of these connections and relationships. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, there's, there's benefits to all sides. That's so interesting too, because I think one of the things that becomes really good while you're a college student is just really honing in on your networking skills. And like, I have leveraged the fact that I was a student so many times just to get a meeting because no one says no. I'm like, I'm a little college student. Will you help me? Uh, they're like, absolutely. So I think that's just another hack in itself is like, ask for help while you can, because I am now a graduate. I cannot claim I'm a college student and I do not get as many meetings. Like it is a, just a known fact. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I think you have to be intentional about when you play that card because it can hurt you in certain situations too. Um, but I would say, especially when you're in the beginning and you just need, you know, people to give you the time of day, it's so helpful. Um, and I think when you go into fundraising, it can be a little bit dicey. You know, some people are going to respond to it really positively. And I, I remember distinctly, I had a pitch meeting and this guy, you know, I had just closed like three other investors. I was feeling very confident. And I went in and I was talking. He's like, well, obviously you're going to drop out, right? Like, I'm not going to give you any money. I'm not going to give you know, my LP's money to somebody who's still in school. And I was like, okay, well, I mean, I, no, I'm not going to drop out. So uh, if that's your, if that's your criteria, then, you know, maybe I'm not a good fit right now. So it, it just depends. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I have never had an investor tell me that. Albeit I tried to fundraise, I think three different times while in college and they were all failures. Like I never got the yes. So <laughs> very uh, impressed that you were able to, but the fact that someone was trying to force you to drop out is insane. I think I I don't I would love to know more about your experience there just because from my experience, the thing I got forced to do as a student founder was get a co-founder like they literally would not let me do it by myself, whether it was an accelerator, uh, mentors, and that ended up going so poorly. My first co-founder ended up having to fire because it was an accident, turned to the person next to me and was like, hey, want to found this business with me? Uh, yeah, don't do that. And then the second one, uh, we worked well together for about a year and then we just had such uh, diverging opinions on where we wanted the business to go. So uh, yeah, everyone has very different opinions on how to build a business. <laughs> That's definitely true. And the thing to keep in mind when you're talking to most investors is that in many cases, if this is somebody who works at a fund, they probably like worked in investment banking, moved to venture, have never built a business themselves. And no disrespect to, you know, 
our venture investors because they make what we do possible. Uh, it's just a different experience, right? And so you got to know when to kind of take their advice and when to stick to your gut. Uh, but on the on the co-founder piece, yeah, co-founders, incredibly difficult topic. I don't know that I have that creative advice on that uh, on that subject. When I started my company, I actually did have a co-founder. I started it with my girlfriend and we we were dating first, started the company together, ran it together for about a year and a half. And then we basically were like, okay, we kind of have to choose if we're either going to date or if we're going to be business partners. And we we're like, I think we'd just rather date. So, um, and, you know, we went through that process of her stepping back, which was also very difficult. Um, oh my gosh. Well, it so, sounds like it was okay though. Like you got to an amicable decision. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. But it, if, if the two of us did not have, I think, higher than average emotional maturity and, you know, the best interest at heart for the company, it could have been a much messier situation. Um, yeah, absolutely. But, Wait, and so are you still dating her? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No way. Okay. So that's in very impressive, probably many years later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, we're almost four years in. Um, definitely very lucky there. Um, but yeah, I think that also helps because I wasn't like, you know, actively trying to find a girlfriend during the time of running the company, you know, having a little bit more stability than the average college student maybe allows me to focus a little bit more. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a really good point. And she definitely understands what you have to do and sacrifice for the business because she helped you run it once upon a time. A hundred percent. Yeah, that's a, I mean, that could be another hack in and of itself, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. probably could have gone very poorly if you guys didn't end up continue dating. So. High risk hack there. High risk, high reward. Yes, exactly. Um, fascinating. Okay. So I think what our listeners really enjoy digging into is just kind of how you got from that zero to one, because I think for a lot of people, it's hard to get started. It's also terrifying. It is one of the questions I get asked the most is like, how, where do I start? How do I start? So for handle delivery and you, you know, how did you get started and what were the first few steps you took to seeing like, oh, this might be working? Yeah, I think I took a very non-traditional route when it comes to this subject. And I, I honestly wouldn't recommend the route that I took, but I'll kind of, I'll tell you the path that I took and the path that I recommend. So the path that I took was I had run software businesses in the past, you know, basically doing like contract software engineering for whoever it may be, anyone that I could get to pay essentially. Um, and that was because I had a software background and it was like a very monetizable skill. And so... I had built up savings for myself that I was able to say, okay, I really believe in this business, but also like it's going to cost, you know, $50,000 to get just up and running. And so I went, I, I went straight into the deep end with it, uh, which I would not recommend, but that's how I kind of got from zero to one. It was, okay, I'm going to set aside this money and I'm just going to basically in my mind, light it on fire and commit it to commit myself to seeing this through, um, which it was great because it's very motivating and I really had skin in the game. And I think there were times when I would have given up had I not had that incentive and kind of like sunk cost. But there's really great advice that comes from people much smarter than me as on this topic, which is like, you know, building an MVP, validating consumer demand before you uh, invest your time and money into things. I would recommend that a lot because what I did was very risky. Uh, you know, just, just building something as simple as like a Squarespace landing page or a Google form, you can validate so many ideas with just a Google form and just being like, okay, 
Would you, you know, like this product? Oh, you would? Great. Well, give me your credit card details, you know, and just like testing people out, being like, how much demand really exists from this? And from there, you know, you can raise money, frankly, on like a waiting list. Plenty of people raise money on a, on a waiting list. So you don't, you don't need to build the full product and have, you know, a thousand paying customers before you go to, to raise your pre-seed. Yeah, I mean, that's really good advice. And it's funny because I took a similar path in college where I was like, all right, I have this chunk of money and no one else is giving me any right now. So if I want to try and make Mount work, like we're just going to go for it. Uh, I don't think everyone is in that position, but that is also how Mount was started. But I think it gives you a really unique outlook on how you build a business because it's your money. So it's not like I'm just going to go blow $10,000 on Instagram ads. I'm going to be very methodical with how I spend it. And I think that has translated into how Mount has grown. So we've raised about $4 million now, uh, but I spend it like we don't have money. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know? And I think that's helped, especially now with the market downturn. There were founders out there who were paying like twelve grand a month on rent. I'm like, okay, you do not need to be in an office. Like We are, are a remote company and our people are very happy with that. We build travel first. Um, so I'd be curious to know if the similar thing happened to you where it's like, because you started with that money that was yours, it seems to me from the outside, like you guys are very lean. You've grown a pretty large business with just a pre-seed raise. And, you know, maybe there's a raise on the horizon for you or not. I don't know. It'd be nice to know. But uh, is that a mindset you've kind of taken with you? Yeah, 100%. And that's something I even communicate to our investors when we're meeting with them. It's like, hey, I have a lot of skin in the game, you know, since my original investment, I've put in more money um, at times where like, you know, we've needed it and we wouldn't have survived without it. Um, and I also didn't take a salary for the first year and a half of running the company. So I was like, I have actually put a ton of skin in the game. And so I'm going to respect your capital as if it was my own, because it is my own to, to a certain extent. A lot of it is my own. Um, but yeah, I think it's hard to just get a sense of what business expenses make sense when you purely raise venture and you haven't, you know, put any name of your own money, not saying it's impossible, but you know, your example on the rent piece, I have seen that mistake made so many times. It's incredible. Like I could like more than five times I've talked to founders who are like in very tight situations with their company. And they're like, yeah, but I'm in this six year lease and it's $20,000 a month. I'm like, bro, what is going on here? Um, and also if you've never like, think about, think about the college founder experience of most of them like living at home and then living on campus, generally being subsidized by their parents to having, you know, a million plus dollars that they have to manage on their own. It's like, this person's never even paid their rent and now they have to like manage, you know, uh, $50,000 a month of expenses. Obviously there's, there's high risk there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember when our bank account went from, you know, few tens of thousands to like over a million from our first raise. And I just had the like, oh shit moment where I'm like, what? Like, I've never seen a bank account this large. I literally walked over and showed my dad because that's how crazy it was. Um, and then, you know, after that, I'm like, my stomach, my stomach sunk because I was like, okay, but now what? And I don't know if this ha is how everyone raises. I, w I am and was a first time founder. So I like really had no clue what was going on. I was like, oh, you know, start a business, raise some money, graduate, work on it full time. And that's definitely the path I took. And when I raised money, I didn't have a really solid plan on what I was going to do with it. We were pre-seed, pre-product market fit. We, it was still a lot of testing and 
you know, throwing spaghetti for a lack of better words at the wall. Uh, and I was like, okay, you know, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. And then you get the money and you realize, oh, I have to actually give this back and more. You know, yeah. that, that's the only reason I have it. So, um, and I have to spend most of it before I can give anything back. So it's definitely a daunting moment when, you know, the wire hits and you're like, oh, geez. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, Chase. So now we get down and dirty. What was one of the most kind of humiliating things you had to go through as a founder that made you that much stronger, but probably in the moment was like, ooh, do I want to keep going? <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, I have quite the list that I could go on in terms of humiliating or just very, you know, difficult, pivotal moments in the company. Um, you know, like you, I mean, you got, you've got to be like, what, five, six years into your company. Is that right? Um, yeah, I mean, my founding story is so bizarre. I think for this, this latest one, we're about two years in. Okay. Uh, yeah. So we're like three and a half years in. And so, yes, we've had a plenty of time to rack up these stories. Let me think. I mean, there was a moment where we were going to, we, we, this was very early in the company. We hadn't decided whether we wanted to really stay with this vertically integrated model where uh, we essentially run like dark stores, or if we wanted to be a merchant aggregator where we would essentially partner with existing convenience stores to deliver their goods. And so we were like, okay, with our testing methodology, you know, let's be good testers. So we literally parked out of a 7-Eleven for four weeks on Figueroa Street, which I don't know if you're familiar with LA at all, but Fig is definitely a little bit of a sus area. Um, and yeah, parked outside of the 7-Eleven and we put all of their inventory on our app. And every time someone would order, we would walk in, pick it off the shelf, swipe a credit card, you know, to check out. And we're doing this like hundreds of times a night. And so the 7-Eleven employees are just like, what's going on? But also like, I don't get paid enough to really care. And then, um, but at the same time, USC is, is, is a little island in the kind of South Central LA community. And so we just looked so out of place because no other USC students are at the 7-Eleven except for us. And, um, you know, it's like there's a lot of gang violence in the area. We're in there and, you know, it, it's getting like actively robbed as we're like standing in line to like check out, you know, just things like that were happening all the time. You know, people would come in and try to use fake money and then threaten each other. Um, I had one experience where I was, uh, this was like on a different spot on fig, but when I was doing deliveries where somebody just came up and like punched me in the face. So just plenty of experiences like that, that definitely kind of thickened my skin a little bit as a founder and made me a little bit more resilient, but wow. yeah, yeah I, that, that's a product of just being at, at, at the USC in the USC vicinity a little bit. Um, but I love the community still. I mean, it's a little rough around the edges, but the, most of the people are so nice. Uh, so I don't, I don't want anyone to misinterpret what I'm saying. No, I don't think anyone will. I mean, it, that's just kind of what you have to go through to be a scrappy founder. And I, this is my true belief and why when Mount exits and I become really wealthy, I'm going to put my money back here if I ever <laughs> venture invest, is that being a college, a student founder, like you have to go through all this crazy stuff to then get to the next phase. And there's a lot of people that are not willing to put in the hours, the risk, the time, whatever it may be to get to that next stage. And because we have as college founders, like 
let the real world have us. When we graduate, we're like, this is a lot easier than what we were doing before. Um, so I think founders in college are a lot more resilient. We're, we're going to use money a lot more wiser. And if I had to do a study on it, I think uh, solo college founders actually probably are very successful. Maybe. I, I agree with you on like 90% of it. I, I think there's a lot of college founders that if, if you if you studied all of the college founders that had have graduated and are still pursuing their company, I think the numbers would be incredible. I think there's a lot of college founders that do, you know, raise a hundred thousand to a million somewhere in there, like pre-seed and just, it gets flushed away down the toilet. <laughs> we just don't hear about those stories. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, Generally, if you're going to start a company, it's going to be a ton of work, whether you're in school or out of school. Being in school presents a lot of unique difficulties, especially because you're trying to balance, you know, productivity, productivity in a number of different spaces. But, you know, I think about like trying to start a company as like a single parent. That's probably way harder than starting a company as a, as a student founder. So I, I think it's, it's just hard in different ways across the board. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, it's a very fair point, And I would agree with you on that one for sure. Yeah. Um, well, we are kind of up on time. So I think the last question I like to ask people is just what is that one piece of advice you would give to our college students and younger students listening that might want to start a company that haven't yet? Yeah, my my biggest advice is align your goalposts with something that you have within your control. So a lot of us start companies, you know, because we want to have some great financial outcome for ourselves and our investors. But what I've realized after doing this for many years is that you really have low, low amount of control on that outcome. Um, as much as we like to trick ourselves into believing we do, I think like COVID, for example, was a great reminder to everyone that was, you know, starting companies at the time that, hey, I can put in 80 hour weeks. I can, you know, forget about everything else in my life, focus solely on the company. And at the end of the day, still not have that great exit that everyone wants. And so I, I find that if you are constantly, you know, having your eye on getting to that exit, you're really not going to be a successful leader because you're going to be so subject to these transient changes where it's like, oh, the company's not doing well this quarter. So our exit looks less, less likely. So now I'm, you know in a much worse mood or I'm making decisions in a different way when I think that, you know, for me, of course, I want to get to that outcome for our investors because I've promised that to them. You know, I promise is maybe a strong word, but they know that that's the goal I'm working towards on their behalf. But at the same time, I recognize all of the value that I've got from the experience where like if it was taken away tomorrow, I still would be incredibly grateful for the experience. So. Having that perspective, I think, will make you a much more resilient founder. Um, and ultimately, like the majority of us, probably 90 percent, 95 percent will not reach that exit, you know, despite raising money. So building yourself up and building your perspective in a way that when what is almost an inevitability, which is failure, happens, you're not you know, ruined and unable to dust yourself off and make another run at it, I think is pretty important. Not saying that I don't think we're going to succeed. I would love to succeed, but I'm also just trying to be realistic about the fact that, hey, this is venture. The whole point of this is that we're either going to score a home run or we're going to hit a foul ball. And there's really no in between. 
honestly, the best advice I've heard yet when it comes to fundraising is, uh, you know, managing your expectations for sure. So Chase, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Very much appreciate it. I believe every listener out there is going to be pretty inspired and wanting to start, you know, their company shortly. Really appreciate it. um, And, you know, have a good one. Thank you so much.